Welcome back. You're tuned in to a podcast on queer folks' favorite tunes. Thank you so much for listening to Queer Sounds. My name is Hannah. My pronouns are they, them. And this is the first official episode after QS Summer of Sound 2022, which means... We're back with uh, a, I don't want to say a regular guest because, you know, um, because I have so many special people on, but um, we're back to our regular programming with activists and amazingly smart people who have a lot to tell. And today is no different. Hi there, Hamida. How are you doing today? Hi, Hannah. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm all right. It's uh, it's warmer here than I expect it to be. Uh, but, you know, I guess that's just part of global warming, I'm afraid. So uh, could you please give the listener a idea of who they're, who they're listening to? What's your name? What are your pronouns? What do you do in daily life? So, hi, everyone. Thank you for listening. My name is Hamida. My pronouns are she or they. Uh, I am based in New Delhi, India. Um, I am a Muslim. Uh, I currently work as a gender consultant with a not-for-profit. Um, I also work as a freelance journalist and I'm currently involved with the Young Afghan Women's Movement uh, as a coordinator and communications consultant. Thank you for having me. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. Before we uh, get into like the real thick of it with everything you do, um, I was scrolling through your Instagram feed and you strike me as a very creative, artistic type of person. Um, I can tell from your face that, um, that that's not wrong. Do you have any type of specific art that you prefer? Um, I mostly write quite a lot. Um, there are times where I've, you know, given my hand at doing solo songs. So I have written like a few rap battles and then I've sung them to myself or I've sung them in front of my friends. So, uh, but, but I think storytelling and story narration is more of my forte. How did you get into that? So I have always loved writing as a kid. I think, um, because as someone who liked to imagine a lot of possibilities and who, who liked to fantasize and daydream a lot. So I used to write um, fantasy-based stories with on journals that I used to, you know, steal from my dad's uh, <laughs> library. And um, I think it was from there that my interest in writing started. Um, in between, I started writing poems because I felt that writing poems is much easier than writing stories. But then I eventually came back to writing stories. Uh, in what language do you prefer to write? So I've written mostly in English. Um, there I think a few poems uh, that I've written in um, Urdu. Uh, but apart from that, I'm mostly comfortable with English. Yeah. Let's stick to English for now, uh, in the music as well. First track yeah. of the day. Let's have a listen. Oh, I love this track so much. What I've Done by Linkin Park.
got to be careful here because with a song like this, the tendency to just, you know, forget everything, forget that you're recording a podcast and listen to the entire thing is way too real. Yeah, no, I remember distinctly, like, this album, Minutes to Midnight by Linkin Park 2007. It's one of the very first albums I ever bought. Um, I remember running down to the store to get it um, in order to, like, the day it was released. So I am very, very goddamn grateful that you picked this song for today. Thank you. Um <laughs> But, but hey, why did you select What I've Done by Linkin Park for today's show? So, um, it's actually a funny story. Um, I've lived in Saudi Arabia uh, for the first 13 years of my life. And we've never really been um, exposed to songs as of such because I was part of a very orthodox Muslim family. But uh, my brother, uh, when he decided to, after his studies, when he decided to go to India, uh, to start college, um, he came back uh, one day and he kept singing this song. And he kept saying, what I have I'm like, what is this song? And he's like, wait, I'll show it to you. And then he switched on the set-top box TV and he switched it to a channel which we've never in our lives, me, my sister, we've never seen it. And we see Linkin Park, we see the band Linkin Park. And at that time, I thought Chester Bennington, his name was Linkin Park. So I kept saying, oh, this guy's Linkin Park. And my brother at that time, because he also didn't know a lot about the band, so he was like, yeah, this guy's Linkin Park. And then he made me um, revise all the lyrics in my head so that later on, when I was asked this, when I was asked what kind of song I'd like to sing, uh, this was a song that I would always sing because this was the only song whose lyrics I knew from end to end. I don't know if I remember it now, <laughs> but definitely at that time I did. And um, it's it's a very, very uh, wonderful, beautiful song with lyrics that are really close to my heart, and especially to my angsty teenage self that was going through a lot of <laughs> puberty and a lot of different, different transitions at that point of time. But yeah, that's why I chose the song. And I'm glad you liked it. Of course. Yeah, no, I can just imagine, you know, trying to interview Chester Bennington, R.I.P., and you approach approach him. It's like, good afternoon, Mr. Park. May I call you Lincoln? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, no, but uh, when was this in, like, the time of your life? Like, were you already living in India at that point? Or when, when, when uh, your brother showed it to you? Or were you still living in Saudi Arabia at that, at that time? So I was still living in Saudi Arabia um, and I remember it was on a very hot afternoon. My father had gone to the hospital, which was like five minutes away. And we had this habit uh, of looking at the window every time it was close to the time that he would come home for lunch or he would come back from office. Because we knew that the moment he would come back, we have to act as if we haven't switched on the TV. We haven't been lazing around. You know, we have to act as if we were studying. So my brother told me, okay, you take a, you know, you watch out through the window and I'll show you something. Uh, and if you do it diligently, then I'll show you something really nice. And then he opened the MTV channel. And I was very surprised that I don't know where he got the MTV channel from, but he opened it. Uh, and then he showed it to me. And then I remember that I started mouthing the lyrics. Uh, and he even had that Linkin Park hairstyle. I don't know, like, 
um, there was this it was like this buzz crew cut at that point of time i think or maybe it was like a it was like a spiky you know i'm not i don't exactly remember but i remember like my brother got a lot of hair gel and he would like keep making that hairstyle all the time <laughs> but so how did, did your parents ever find out about you listening to Linkin Park and did or has this been a secret that for the first time in the history of you is out in the open uh i don't think they ever found out i think uh my parents have been really kind and trusting us uh and thinking that oh you know my like our kids are actually studying and they're not really lazing around and they're not really just trying to remember the lyrics of a song that we haven't taught them so i don't think they ever found out uh but they definitely found out about harry potter and the stash of books we had <laughs> so that was something that they would keep bringing up but yeah not not link it back how do you keep something like music a secret so it's interesting that um every time uh we would want to sing it out loud when we were doing some sort of work we would hum the lyrics really really softly just so that only the two of us like either me or my sister or me or my brother if we were in the same room could hear and then we would start um playing off of each other and then eventually my mother or my father would make a sound and be like mm, okay like what 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 is this sound we have never heard of this sound before and we'd be like oh no it's just, it's just a sound we're making in our heads you know it's, it it has nothing to do with the fact that we saw something on mtv so um it's it it was more or less um a secret in the sense that we knew what it sounded like and our parents didn't so a lot of times our parents just thought that we were making the sounds up what was the general view your parents had on music like was there any music at all in your household and was it just the western music that wasn't allowed or was it just a rock thing specifically what was what was your household like at the time well at that time um my parents uh held a view in which they saw music to be something which wasn't really providing any educational um uh, uh, knowledge it wasn't providing us any sort of development in any way so they didn't find it to be something that they wanted us to be a part of so i remember like um, every time my father would come back from parties in which he would have to gel with his colleagues he'd come back and he'd say one thing he'd be like the music was so loud and it was so unnecessary like i don't know what the music lyrics were about and i don't understand why people are listening to this kind of music so i think my parents came from the sort of understanding where they just didn't know why we would want to listen to this kind of music when they thought it was better that our time be spent somewhere else Uh, apart from that though my parents really listened to a lot of non how do i say this uh non like more like an instrumental sort of music or music in which there were not a lot of instruments actually it was more or less someone's voice and that kind of music was about commemorating the religious leaders or it was about some form of praise towards god So that's the kind of music that we listened to mostly. Um was this common? Like were uh friends or classmates at the time going through the same thing? No, actually. Um uh, 
I remember that when I started listening to Linkin Park, I would sing it a lot in my school. And everybody would keep saying that, oh, you know, you should sing this during the assembly. You have such a wonderful voice. And I'd be like, no, you know, my parents are going to find out and then it's going to be game over for me. Uh, and, you know, I have to keep this a secret. So, uh, but then they would talk about other um, artists that they loved. So I think at that point of time, they really loved Avril Lavigne. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her. So they loved her. Um, I think they were also a lot into Eminem as well and uh, there was quite a lot of gothic pop going on in my school so um, that's and that's how like I got to know more and more about songs but there was always a part of me that was scared of discussing it even more you know in the fear that eventually I would start singing it out loud and you know my parents would find out. What's the first time you felt comfortable discussing um, music with anybody, like outside of outside of school, basically? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think it was when I was in college. Um, I I don't really think it was any time in school, uh, because you know, even as a child, you're very acutely aware of the fact that you 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 have to come back to your house, you know, and you have to be a certain way in front of your parents and you have to be very careful of what you say and how you say it and how you act. So I think it was when I started college in Delhi uh, that I found this space where I could talk about um, the music I loved. And I remember saying that the first, the first, my first favorite song was Linkin Park. And I remember a lot of people were nodding their heads and they were like, yeah, Linkin Park, yeah, of course. And I was like, oh, oh, so it's not just me. Like, all of you love it. And they're like, yeah, definitely. And then we would basically talk about what was the whole um, philosophy behind Linkin Park songs. What was it that made it so relatable? Um, why did we all feel to some extent that Chester Bennington was, you know, uh, even when he was screaming his lungs out, he was saying something that was so close to whatever it is that we felt. So I, I think it was at that point of time that I could truly explain music mm, well take us with you then like how did you explore music during your college years where where did you go from lincoln park so um we had this um i i, I enrolled in psychology um uh, and we had this group of seniors amongst whom one used to play a guitar and he used to keep bringing his guitar on in college and he used to keep singing songs. And I remember uh, one of the first songs I heard from him was uh, Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. And it was at that point of time that I was hooked to that song because I felt that um, these lyrics are on a completely different level. And uh, it's, it's, it's a different vibe from Linkin Park altogether. So I remember going through... Um, Pink Floyd's songs, and I remember that there were quite a few that I really liked. I think there was one, another brick in the wall, yeah. So, um, and then I, I approached that senior and I told him that, you know, like, you know, it seems like you have a lot of knowledge about songs. And then he gave me this whole history about 80s uh, culture, music culture, 70s music culture, 60s music culture. Then he told me all about the Beatles. And then he gave me a whole, he gave me his pen drive which had like a whole list of songs from A to Z. And he told me to listen to all of them. And I did. Um, and there were quite a few that I really, really loved. 
So I think one of them was Jimi Hendrix. Then there were I really loved Norwegian Wood by the Beatles. I loved it. Um, I even read the book by um, I think it was Haruki Murakami, Norwegian Wood. Uh, and it was it was I think from there that my whole you know uh, dance with music started. And then at some point you get back to your parents. How do you act? Like it sounds like you know you've discovered a treasure map or if you've discovered an an actual treasure but you're not allowed to share it with anyone how does how did that make you feel i did feel like to an extent i was leading a double life it was difficult and i think with a lot of you know um the men who do go out of um their protected space and they decide to explore when they have to come back to that protected space they feel like they don't fit in anymore and it's a difficult conversation that that they decide to then have with themselves um i remember that i did make my mother listen to uh one song i think uh it was um i think it was pink floyd i'm not sure but she didn't really like it she was like oh it's all in english and i i don't really i i don't know like why you're making me listen to this like isn't it better that you just sit and you know um read something knowledgeable and i'm like this is knowledgeable they're trying to say something and i was like and she was like i don't want to like i don't want to hear it i was like okay and then but then interestingly that sparked a conversation about how she loved um very typical hindi songs that she used to listen to before she got married uh and then she would like very quietly tell me about them uh but then when i would like go on youtube and show it to her she'd be like oh it's still here and she was like no no you know what i don't really need to listen to it uh that's okay like i think i've you know gone beyond that stage now i'm an old woman and i was like okay <laughs> all right sounds like there is a little bit of a uh hidden music lover hiding away in your mother there um yeah. m- maybe who knows m- maybe she will come out of her shell and rediscover her love for music at some point um i think it's about time we go do the same we're not going to listen to the entire uh 6 minutes and 11 seconds but it is about time that we have a listen to this amazing amazing piece of art uh heroes by david bowie
Once again, a track where um, if you kind of forget time, before you know it, you've listened to the entire thing, and then you know, then yeah, we're seven minutes down the line, and everything else just kind of has been put to a hold. Um, if you do want to listen to the entire thing, go ahead and check out the um, Queer Sounds playlist. Uh, you can find that on Spotify. There you'll find all of the songs featured on the show in the past year, which brings me to this important little, um, how to call it, milestone, um, because this is the first time um, we've had a song on the show that has been featured in an episode before. But, you know, I figured that was an episode like three or like somewhere in the very, very early days. So I figured it's about time that we play David Bowie's Heroes again. Um, This beautiful, beautiful 1977 magnum opus from the uh, Thin White Duke. Um, So, uh, Hamadat, why did you select this song for today's episode? Uh, this song is actually really close to my heart because I think um, when I listened to this song first, it was when I saw the movie The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And it was this song that was coming on when the credits were rolling. And if any of the listeners here have watched you know, Perks of Being a Wallflower, the end, um, the, the end monologue and the end montage of scenes kind of create this um, feeling of extreme... Uh, happiness and at the same time extreme sadness so it's kind of like a bittersweet ending Um, and then when you see this song coming on you start feeling a lot of things at the same time Um, and it was at this point of time where I was rediscovering myself as a person I was trying to understand uh, whether my identity was something that I had chosen for myself or was it something that had been passed on to me and I hadn't necessarily reflected on it? Um, it was also at that point of time that I had watched this movie called The Geography Club. Um, I don't know if anyone has watched it, but uh, it's a very, very beautiful movie about um, a kid um, in, in high school, I think, and he um, decides to uh, come out as queer. Um, and then he finds a club that supports him. And that's the whole basis of the geography club. Seeing those two movies together and then listening to this song made me realize there's a lot of um, expansiveness within me and expansiveness that I cannot explain. And David Bowie was able to capture it very um, beautifully in a nostalgic yet futuristic sort of way in which he's saying that, hey, you know, it's okay that all of this has happened and it's okay that you feel sad about all the times that have gone but listen you have all these times that are left and this is what you can do with all of these times you can recreate it however you want to that's why i chose this song um you said you were trying to figure out your own identity does that also include your queer identity yes 
um it was at that point of time that i realized that um, there was a part of me that was um, attracted to the same gender which i was a part of and at the same time i did not necessarily look at myself as a woman but i looked at myself as um someone who could encompass um mm-hmm. a variety of understandings and a variety of different perceptions which did not necessarily correspond to the conventional idea of a gender and i did feel at a lot of points in time but these were pretty subconscious feelings before that point of time where i used to feel that i am not able to necessarily explain what is it that i'm truly feeling about a certain idea that is being imposed to me uh, imposed upon me um, so for example let's take the concept of hijab let's take the concept of wearing a headscarf um there's always this question within me where i would think about why is it that um, the hair seems to be something that is extremely sexualized to a point where a woman has to wear um a headscarf but at the same time there was a part of me that understood that maybe a lot of women don't feel comfortable sharing showing their hair off and they feel more empowered wearing a headscarf and it was these two parts of me that were creating a huge dissonance and a huge um expanse of questions which i felt that could not necessarily be answered in the traditional male versus female sense or women versus man sense but more of looking at it from a very retrospective way and trying to make your own peace with it in a way in which you're able to understand that this is where i stand on the issue but it doesn't necessarily mean that i would want to you know share the same idea with others you mentioned at the beginning of the episode that you're also part of the young afghan women movement um and when focusing on the women part of that how do you see your own gender in that context i think uh, over the years what i've really um, loved about the fact that there's been um, an increase in conversation surrounding how um, the conventional idea of who a woman is or the conventional idea of what a woman is supposed to be has been challenged and has changed uh to the point where uh, i find myself questioning whether or not i am actually uh, a sister in solidarity or if i am a woman in solidarity or i and I, or i'm questioning to the point where even if i can call myself a woman and when you put that in the context of the young afghan women's movement you realize that for marginalized sections of the society embroiled in a conflict it's an even more difficult discussion and conversation to have because in a conflict it's very easy for you to come to a black and white scenario it's very easy and um it's it's very natural to come to a point where you would want something to be defined something to be certain so having that kind of conversation especially when you're part of a conflict situation that's been going on for decades is only now beginning to happen is only now beginning to skim on the surface and i think the young afghan women movement uh, has been a huge part of trying to create that space where such conversations can happen and at the same time being able to create a brave space where these conversations can be accepted can be appreciated and embraced the way you uh you talked about that it kind of reminded me of the entire 
context in which this all happens, right? Because it's been rough. It's it's been over a year since uh, the Taliban took over Kabul, um, and I can also very much imagine that you know a lot of people in the young Afghan women movement don't necessarily have the luxury to think about gender and sexuality because they're busy with you know thinking about food and shelter and like political safety um especially now that you know young girls and women aren't allowed to teach anymore they're not allowed to go to school anymore um so how do you place the entire conversation um around gender and sexuality um uh, in a context where most people don't have the luxury to think about those things that's actually um, a very important question that you've asked and it's something that i consider to be um, to an extent a question that should be asked when um, the women in the young afghan women movement are comfortable speaking about because a lot of times when we've reached out to young afghan women and girls um who are embroiled in conflict and who are thinking as you said about day to day necessities um they don't necessarily want to speak about um what they consider themselves to be what is their identity to them they know that their culture is in threat they know that their survival is in threat and that's why at that point of time they find it um to an extent difficult to engage in these conversations because they find it very outside of their context but i feel that the fact of the matter is if there is not a space where afghan women who at that point of time can sit without worrying about food without worrying about water without worrying about clothing without worrying about a basic essential needs it's very difficult for them uh, and it's very difficult for us to be able to engage with them on that front uh, but that doesn't mean that there aren't uh, marginalized sections who own that identity and who speak about it especially during these situations of conflict we've had numerous um, afghan uh, painters who have tried to capture the essence and diversity of any gender that's involved in the afghan movement in the afghan solidarity movement and they've done this to represent the diversity and inclusivity so i feel like it really depends on the context it really depends on who it is that you're speaking to what is it that they want from you at that point of time how is it that you're addressing it and once they're able to have that kind of rapport with you where they know that uh, they can trust you and you're not just someone who's trying to get some sort of funding off of them uh or they're just trying to get some help and then forget about them altogether that's the kind of conversation that they'd be more willing to have so um you were born and raised in Saudi Arabia and now you operate from New Delhi what's your personal connection to Afghanistan for me it's been more or less um the fact that um, when i was in college i i had quite a few afghan friends um who i were who i um you know completed my graduation with um i had this uh, afghan friend of mine called mahkan uh, she was in the same class as i was and we used to const- 
constantly have conversations about uh, Mediterranean cuisine. And because at that point of time, uh, having come from Saudi Arabia, having seen to some extent the different kinds of cuisine, I was able to uh, have some sort of relatability on that front. Um, I do remember, uh, it's, it's also a really um, interesting story. There was an Afghan culture festival that had uh, been hosted by our college. And I was sitting in the open air theater with her. And I remember a group of Afghan boys came up and they started speaking to my Khan. Uh, and they uh, started looking at me and then they asked me and they're like, oh, are, are you uh, are you also, um, you know, Afghani? And I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm not Afghani, I'm, I'm Kashmiri. And they were like, no, 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 you're lying. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not lying. And they were like, yeah, yeah, you are. Because, uh, you know, you have the same eyes and you have, like, it's, it's, everything's the same. And then I kept looking at Mekan and I kept saying that, can you um, please tell them that I'm not? Because they started to drag me and they started telling me that, oh, you need to now be part of the Afghan Culture Festival. You need to sing the Afghan songs and you should, of course, know the Afghan songs. And I was like, no, I don't. And then she started laughing and she explained to them very patiently. And it was at that point of time that we started discussing about the similarities between um, the ethnicity and when it comes to, you know, the facial features of Kashmiris, uh, Persians, Afghanis, um, Iraqis in general. And uh, it was, I think, at that point of time where I saw those kind of similarities that I felt some sort of um, sisterhood, I would say. Um, and then when I... Uh, started working with the Young Afghan Women's Movement, it was more or less um, a standpoint of ethical solidarity because I did not um, personally agree with how the Taliban was using a particular religious uh, identity to be able to espouse control. Um, which brings us to like the big important question. Uh, what is it that the Young Afghan Women's Movement does? So we're a transnational solidarity network that's trying to collaborate and create um, an across-the-world network of young Afghan women and girls um, in and outside Afghanistan. Uh, the whole idea behind this is to, number one, campaign um, and bring forth the issues of Afghan women and girls who are on ground. Um, and because these are issues which are very different in each and every province of Afghanistan, it's very necessary to be able to bring all um, of that conversation onto a digital uh, you know, space and to be able to bring those nuances so that international um, networks and international solidarity organizations would be able to feed off of the knowledge uh, that they're being provided. Uh, the second is to be able to build the capacities of young Afghan women and girls. Um, so if, for example, a group of Afghan women would want to learn a specific uh, skill, so they can reach out to us and we would be able to reach out to the different um, Afghan women who are uh, proficient in that skill through our network and be able to set up free classes for them. All right. Um, if you know people who could make use of the Young of Gun Women movement, I'll make sure to include a uh, link in the show notes for now. Um, all right, let's have a listen. Rose Rose.
the category Best Concert Experience Rosros by Parvas. Oh, my, uh, what is this, Hindi or Uru? My, I speak neither, but you know, uh, I can I can only say so much. I can try. It's it's uh, Urdu, but uh, the song is in Kashmiri. Um, all right. Well, tell the story. Why? Um, what made the cut? Uh, why did this song make the cut for favorite concert experience? So um, I remember um, Parvaz is actually a Kashmiri Sufi rock band, um, and uh, it was at that point of time that they had. Um, they were fairly well known, but not as well known as they are now. Few years after, I had already discovered them. Um, they had been um, invited to our college while I was still in uh, my bachelor's, uh, and you know they were they were supposed to host. They were supposed to be part of this um, Kashmiri festival, and it was there that um, I remember I was sitting and I'd listened to this song before, but having um, them sing it on stage with the kind of heart-wrenching uh, melody that they're very well known for uh, just brought a lot of tears for me um, because uh, it was at that point of time that um, I was feeling this longing towards a very un, uh, indescribable part of myself, but the part of myself that I was not able to explain to anyone. Um, and listening to this song and listening to the lyrics, um, made me feel um, a little more comforted, uh, I would say. I can uh, share the English translation of it. You don't have to translate the entire thing as we go, but if you could give a brief summary so people in here can uh, have an idea what we just listened to, then yes, please. Yeah. So um, this, uh, I'll, I'll start with uh, the first few songs. My Kashmiri is really bad. If there's any Kashmiri hearing this, I'm sorry. Um, so uh, it says Rose, Rose, Bose, Mianizar, Madno, which means stay, listen to my torment, my beloved. Dadi Chane, Robum, Aram, Madno, which means I've lost all my peace with your affliction. Tiha, Tichuk, Balgar, Madno, which means you are the rap to the wounds. Chane, which means I've lost my youth after you, my beloved. These are basically the four lines that are constantly, uh, you know, sung throughout the whole um, song. But yeah. D did you first came in touch with this band just because they were already like widely known in your college circles? How did you, how did you find out about them? So interestingly, my brother also played a part in this. Um, my brother uh, at that time was living in Bangalore and he was um, uh, working um, for, for, the, for quite a few number of years and he came to um, Kashmir uh, for quite some, for some time during his vacation and I was there as well and uh, he told me about this band he had uh, gone on a tour with throughout India and I I was very happy and I said, oh, what is the name of that band? He said, oh, it's a Kashmiri Sufi band. I think you'll really like them uh, because he knew that I was a lot into spiritually understanding um, things and trying to see the deeper meaning uh, behind anything that I wanted to do. So he thought that I would really like it. So he shared this song with me and then he spoke a little bit about the conversations he had. 
with the lead guitarist and the lead vocalist. Um, I think the lead vocalist name is Khalid. Uh, so, um, and then when I started listening to them, I remember at that point of time, I felt like um, they were there was someone who could very beautifully explain um, the intense longing I was feeling towards my own self as, as if I had lost myself or as if I had lost some form of truth and I was not able to get it back. And it was after a few years after that, that they became extremely well known and that everybody was talking about them in college. And at that point of time, I was like, okay, I already know them <laughs> and I've already listened to them. So, um, but I was really happy seeing them on, uh, you know, in, in, in flesh. And I remember I, I, I went up to them and I told my brother's name. I said, okay, you might know my brother. And they were like, oh, oh, so you're his sister. And I was like, yeah, like, can I take a photo? And they're like, yeah, sure. And I was, and then I remember telling the lead vocalist that um, you made me feel um, supported during a time when I felt alone. And then uh, he was like, oh, wow, like nobody has, you know, quite summed it up in this way. And I was like, no, that's how I feel about your music. And then he said that he was very happy and he was very humbled. Yeah, that sounds that sounds very powerful. So um, would you say that there is a link between you um, feeling sad and uh, alone during um, during college and then listening to this song? Um, like was that and and you figuring out your queer identity? Was there an overlap in in that in that area? There was definitely a lot of um dilemmas that I was going through because um, I was trying to get back to my religious rituals. I was trying to get in touch with, uh, you know, being um, a good daughter who, you know, practices all her rituals, who follows whatever it is that she needs to follow and she's been told to follow. But um, the fact of the matter is that um, spiritually I felt differently and spiritually I felt that it, it was a lot of unnecessary um, ritualistic hard work that I had to do uh, when when it was not uh, something that I felt was serving me. So that also, as you said, overlapped with my understanding as someone who did not necessarily look at myself in the conventional sense and who looked at myself as now I can say queer because I felt that um, at that point of time, because I was not able to ritualistically follow certain things and I was feeling different spiritually, I felt that it had a lot to do with my queer identity. And I was feeling very guilty about that. Was there for you, would you say, an uh, overlap as well between um, you hiding your queer identity from your parents and, you know, hiding your love for music from your parents combined with, you know, that that uh, religious expectations of it all? I can agree with you, I think, to, to an extent over there, because I feel that um, music was one of the ways through which I started expressing myself and I started exploring myself. Um, I, I had this whole, uh, you know, phase where I was just listening to hip hop or I was just listening to punk rock. Or I was just listening to synthwave but all of them symbolize different parts of me. And it was very difficult for me to explain those parts to my parents. Um, to them, it was just, oh, she's just an angry teenager. And we don't really know why, because we've given her everything that she uh, needed from life. So um, 
I think that combined with um, my self-exploration, um, which was being egged on by music, did make me feel quite sad most of the time. Uh, there were very few times where I would feel very in tune with myself. Um, there were very few moments where I would feel this this delicate balance just click inside of me and realize that, oh, you know what, I'm doing good today. Um, I, I feel happy with myself. I feel happy with everything. I was just about to ask, like, the the religious slash spiritual part of you, the queer part of you, the music part of you, it seems like there has been quite some conflict between those, like, three aspects of your life over the years. W- would you say that they're in harmony now? How would, how would you say the current state of affairs is on, on, on those three matters? Uh, I think my spiritual side has um, calmed down. <laughs> because it's it's found um, most of the answers that it's been looking for through exploration, through reflection, um, and most of all, through acceptance. So even if I do feel guilt, um, and uh, to be honest, I was feeling a lot of guilt before I came into this podcast. Um, and I was explaining to myself very gently that this is something that I've chosen to do, and this is something that I want to be part of. Um, so it's not as if those moments of extreme dilemma aren't there, but um, I think um, having the consistent side of me that's given me pleasure and that's given me satisfaction at the same time has been my spiritual side because I feel it's expanded to the point where um, it understands why the queer identity is part of my identity. And it's, it's mostly the one that's mediating between my queer identity and my external religious identity in front of my parents uh, to make it less um, emotionally difficult for me um, and also make it less difficult for my parents to navigate. Have you gotten easier at navigating the different um, spaces, the different parts of yourself? Do you still feel like you're living a double life? I think that living a double life is something that's always going to be there because... um, in religious communities, you're taught a lot of obedience uh, and you're taught to be um, in a certain way. So there are very few moments in time where you actually get to be who you are, um, even amongst people who have extremely good intentions, who are um, you know, well-wishers and would love for you to live your life the way they, you know, you'd want to. So I feel that that's a part of me that I have to accept. But I do know that at some point of time, that part of me might intersect with the reality I have in front of my parents. And that might lead to quite a certain amount of conflict, um, which as of now I've accepted. Then there's one last song on the list for today. Could you give that last song a little bit of an introduction? Yes. Uh, so this song was recently given to me by, uh, it was shared to me by one of my very close friends. Um, and uh, it's, it's called Janyo Kese Log The, which means um, expressing perplex, perplexity at the kind of people that have existed. Um, if there are any people that do exist who have gotten the love that they wanted back. And I love the lyrics. Um, it's in Hindi. Uh, but I really wanted to bring this song because I often find myself singing this song quite a lot nowadays. 
Yeah, it's an uh, old song, so don't be scared by the audio quality when you listen to it. I hope you enjoy it. That means that this is it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support this show, you can do so through patreon.com slash queersounds. If you've got some spare cash left, you can send it this way and we'll make sure that you get some nice stickers and some cool bonuses like the Queer Sounds album of the week content. Um, you can also drop a follow at Queer Sounds Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. There you can find like snippets of the show, um, queer news, a whole lot of stuff. Uh, maybe mostly also just some random loose thoughts and quizzes and polls and I don't know the usual Twitter content. You know what it's like. You've you've been on the internet. Um, for now, though, I want to thank you all for listening. Oh, and if you enjoyed this uh, episode, you can share it with a friend. You know, tell a friend if you like the show. It really helps this podcast grow and really appreciate it. For now, I really want to thank you, Hamida, too, um, for, for coming on the show. Um, I'm real grateful that we've had this opportunity. Um, here's the last track of the day. Hemant Kumar, Jinwo Kese Lokte. जाने वो कैसे लोग थे जिनके प्यार को प्यार मिला जाने वो कैसे लोग थे जिनके प्यार को प्यार मिला हमने तो जब कलियां मांगी काटों का हार मिला जाने वो कैसे लोग थे जिनके प्यार को प्यार मिला
किसको फुर्सत है जो थामे दीवानों का हमको अपना साया तक अक्सर बेजार मिला हमने तो जब कलिया मांगी कांटों का हार मिला जाने वो कैसे लोग थे जिनके प्यार को प्यार मिला इसको ही जीना कहते हैं तो यूही जी लेंगे इसको ही जीना कहते हैं तो यूही जी लेंगे उफ न करेंगे लब सी लेंगे आंसू पी लेंगे रम से अब घबराना कैसा रम सौ बार मिला हमने तो जब कलिया मांगी काटों का हार मिला जाने वो कैसे लोग थे जिनके प्यार को प्यार मिला 